0: Good morning, friends. What a good thing it is to be among you. For those of you who may not know, I am appointed clergy under the Christ Church umbrella. I serve as the pastor of our Washington Heights campus, and given my bivocational capacities, I get to serve outside of the church, and I also get to witness the work of Nido de Esperanza, which some of you have been involved with. And so please receive our heartfelt gratitude from El Nido. Thank you for your support, your presence, your gifts, and your kind spirits that truly embody the love of God in that community. I invite you to call on God's name as we prepare to receive the proclaimed word at this time. Holy One, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. Speak, Lord, for your people are waiting. Challenge us, comfort us, and send us from this place to share faith, hope, and love in a world that is much broken, but also holds much promise. We who listen at this hour say, Spirit, speak and be not silent. Habla, Señor, que tu pueblo escucha. Amen. The road of excess leads to the palace of wisdom. Those words of William Blake echo the gospel lesson we just heard. But excess is consuming us, and we yearn balance and perhaps even simplicity. Marie Kondo became popular a few years ago for gifting us with the life-changing magic of tidying up, the idea being that we accumulate things and need to purge. This art of decluttering requires intention about what brings one joy, but the larger point is that things only bring joy for a, certain, for a certain moment. Things wear out, and maybe there is something to that. During my, first, my last year of college, I served as an AmeriCorps member in this program called City Year. The bulk of my work was assisting in a second grade class. And then the residual aspects of the program were leading corporate volunteers in days of community service. One group I led had a middle-aged man who I tried to connect with around prospective career opportunities. As I guided him in our community service project and inquired about his job satisfaction, he said something that has stayed with me. He said something along the lines of, everything has an expiration date, even this job. There was in his statement an anticipation that at some point he was going to move on from his job. I thought to myself, wow, that's deep. This investment banker who was probably making a lot of money and also had a good sense to volunteer had undertaken the task of existential introspection. He anticipated that meaning could change even in the profit garnering Business of gainful employment. Questions of meaning induce in our humanness this sense of how to interpret the complexity of the world, of life and, yes, even death. Our life's journey is centered around what we might consider what is most important. And we all hold some convictions that are at the core of what drives us. We all have a philosophy or philosophies of life that undergirds how we live. And we gather in spaces like this to pause and wonder, what are some of the aspects of how we make meaning alive for ourselves, for others, and for the world at large? But this is a difficult task because it requires of us a vulnerability to know our finiteness as well as our responsibility. There's a Kenyan prayer that says, from the cowardice that dare not face new truths, from the laziness that is contented with half-truths, from the arrogance that thinks it knows all truths, good Lord, deliver me. In our gospel lesson, we hear a parable Jesus said in response to an inquiry he received regarding handling an issue of inheritance teacher, order my brother to give me a fair share of my family inheritance. Jesus, aware of his finiteness, simply said, what makes you think it's any of my business to be a judge or mediator for you? And he goes on to say, guard yourself against all kinds of greed. After all, one's life isn't determined by one's possessions, even when someone is very wealthy. To expand upon the point he was trying to make, he told the parable of the rich fool. A rich man's farm produced a big crop, and he said to himself, What can I do? I don't have a place large enough to store everything. Later he said, Now I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, where I can store all my grains and all other goods. Then I'll say to myself, you have stored up enough good things to last for years to come. Live it up, eat, drink, and enjoy it. This parable unique to Luke's gospel is building on something that the overall gospel was intent in deconstructing. The intent was on allowing the reversal of roles to show that God's reign is in contrast with how humans commodify each other. In this reversal, we hear Jesus denounce the rich not because of their wealth, but because of their mindlessness about social justice and their complicity in allowing the most vulnerable to be oppressed and exploited. Through Luke's vision, Jesus is a tactician who exposed the workings of oppression through pedagogic confrontation and tangible expressions of liberation. The parable at hand tells us the story of this rich, sagacious man whose ambition went from soliloquy to driven action. We hear his self-talk move from I have all of this to I'll protect all of this and be around long enough to enjoy it all. Some of us would say this was a savvy, competent business person, and yet Jesus called our protagonist a fool. This rich man organized his life around his wealth and his indulgent self-preservation. Nonetheless, he was deemed foolish, for in his capacity building and his ambition expansion, he failed to calculate that riches cannot detain the unexpected arrival of death's call. We often say life is short because we expect to live long enough to enjoy it. What if we actually sat, not merely with the idea that life is short, but rather that our lives are a responsibility not just to ourselves? This man was a fool because he lived in the parameters of himself and failed to see outside of said self. If we looked at the text and reviewed this soliloquy he got lost in, we'd find that in his use of egocentric pronouns, we get a glimpse of what his inner world was about. Freud spoke about this inner world, which he called the unconscious, and that there is a conflict that often surges from infantile desires, which he called the pleasure principle, which lives in contrast to the demands of the adult world that he deemed the reality principle. In Freudian theory, the pleasure principle dictates living in this self-indulgent, fantasy-driven world where it's all about self. The danger of such living is that the world cannot revolve around merely self. And when we are inclined to live in such a way, we actually dehumanize ourselves, for we were created to be in community to see ourselves connected to all others around us regardless of demographic differences. This sense of living is what Paul called in the epistle living in the renewal that we have been made in the imago Dei, the image of God. In this understanding, there is no black, brown, or white, or documented versus undocumented, queer or straight, young or old. The African concept of Ubuntu simply says it, I am because you are. The man in the parable was a fool because in all this thinking about himself and his things and a place to secure his things, we don't hear ever about community or family or even friends. I read this parable and hear of an abundance of crops and wonder, well, maybe he could have shared some of what he possessed and still had leftovers. He would not have had to spend any money on building bigger barns. He could have resolved his problem by seeing that he was more than what he owned. He could have humanized himself by saying, I have lots of things, but how could I be present with the vulnerable?" He could have moved from the road of excess to the palace of wisdom. If he only had realized that he had the responsibility to be a social entrepreneur, he could have had his stuff, shared some of it, and secured a different reality. And the hard message in all of this is that we often might recognize that we have an excess of things, but that doesn't lead us to a palace of wisdom because we get stuck on maintaining what we have. If we paid attention to the text, we might hear that in the excess of what we have, we might be better off if we shared. Peggy McIntosh wrote uh, an important article in the 80s that most graduate social workers will read and are exposed to. In it, she, exp- she examines the excess of privilege she had as a white person. In the Invisible Knapsack, as the article is called, she wrestles with the excess of the privilege that she had and how she had been socialized into being mindless of the systems that are the foot of oppression in the lives of people of color. Her ability to identify her excess of privilege, be intentional in naming it, and committing to ongoing awareness and denouncing white supremacy demonstrates that the road of excess can lead to the palace of wisdom. Our parable's protagonist got things mixed up. He lived for himself, for his sense of security, and he missed that he was more than his things. He got lost in his things, and that's what made him a fool. Things just don't last. Think about it. You can have an excess of things, and it could be gone all in a heartbeat. Or if your heart misses a beat. I think the point of the parable is this. Things don't last. You are more than material things. Live in such a way that you don't get lost. An unusual thing happens at the end of the parable. God shows up, and the figure of God confronts the rich man with the fact that his life is actually at its end and the things he's worked for will end up in a place of uncertainty. But the certainty of death, which seems to have escaped him, would now unveil him. As the Spanish saying goes, todo saldrá en la lavada. All will come out in the wash. And that is what death is. It is the washing away of our physical and material realities and the unveiling of our legacies. But death doesn't have to be the only thing that does that. While we are living, we can engage in the great exercise of soul work, and through grace know that we are gods and not merely a hostage of the things that we own. And through grace, see in others the imago Dei, and see them too as God's beloved. We live in a consumerist society that claims us to spiritual and emotional and physical exhaustion. But the God of grace has showed up to free us, to have us know a meaning beyond things, that regardless of excess or deficits, we are of sacred worth. Yes, death is the great equalizer, but God is the great I am, the source of meaning for the rich and the poor and the middle class and the classless. God is the hope of us all, for to be and to be loved and to be held in that love is what we were made for. Amen.